Okay, today we are moving into Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you need a Bible, as always, uh, Don and Susan are at the back. Just let them know if you need a Bible. A simple raise of hand, they'll get one to you. And we're moving to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you're using a church Bible, you'll be heading to page 890. As I always say, you will need a Bible in front of you. So don't pretend that you can get through this sermon without one. You are going to need a Bible open in front of you. Uh, as you work your way to Daniel uh, 6, let me just say that... Uh, you're going to get a break in Daniel for the next two weeks. Don't cheer too loudly. I know we've been 12 weeks in Daniel. Uh, next week, Adrian is going to be covering the sermon because I'll be on holiday. He's coming uh, to talk about Pam Sunday. Then on Easter Sunday, we're having an all age where all the kids will be in the service with us and we'll focus on Easter Sunday. And then we'll get to the tail end of Daniel 6 uh, towards the end of the month. So you get a little bit of a break. So we're in Daniel 6 today. We ended chapter 5 last week with Belshazzar slain and his kingdom given over to Darius the Mede. We learnt that Babylon had gone through a period of unrest. Multiple kings, multiple kings murdered, and now has been given over to the Persians under Darius the Mede. At this point in the story, uh, Daniel is in his 80s, and he's been serving God in Babylon for over seven decades. Can you believe that? We're reading in Daniel 6, and he's in his 80s. Unbelievable uh, ministry that he has served uh, God in. Uh, Today, as we move into chapter 6, what I want to show you is that success in the gospel means enmity with the world. Uh, Let me put that in a different way. The stronger the church is on Jesus and their gospel outreach, the more opposition they should expect. The stronger we are in Jesus, the more opposition we should expect. Uh, We're going to jump right in, chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Uh, Just pause there. Babylon now under Persian rule, under Darius, uh, has a lot of different things about it. It has a new authority, a, a new regime, a new way of governing. And we read that Darius was pleased to change the way the region was governed. And he appointed 120 satraps. Uh, That's just another word for governors. So someone that would rule over a region of uh, the area of Babylon. And then above these would be three administrators. Now, I think administrator in the NIV is probably a weak translation. Probably the better translation is the ESV that says three presidents. And these three presidents would sit above the 120 and they would sit above them. Why? So that the king would not suffer loss, which I just think is code for. We all know governments around the world where politicians have sought their own gain or they have become corrupt and therefore the kingdom loses out. And so these three presidents were essentially rule keepers. They were put in place to make sure the 120 did as King Darius said. Uh, To some extent, you could also say they were probably whistleblowers, that if they had done something wrong, these 120 did something wrong, they would be reported to Darius and likely fired. 
Um, personally, I think it's ironic that Daniel is one of these presidents because in Daniel 5, we had Belshazzar say, if you give me the interpretation, I will make you the third highest ruler. Where's Belshazzar? He's dead. He's murdered. Where's Daniel? One of the three presidents of Babylon under the Persians. It's quite ironic that the king that promised so much is gone and here is Daniel still serving under the, the rule of King Darius. Uh, let's go to verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was going to be promoted to the point of only the king himself being above him. Daniel was the, the chief of the administrators, the chief of the presidents. And we're not entirely sure here why he's distinguished himself, whether he's just really kept to the rules or whether under him many of the 120 have been fired because of their corrupt practices. Uh, but what is clear is that something is different within Daniel compared to the other leaders. Again, the NIV reads that Daniel had exceptional qualities, which again, I think is probably a weak translation from the original. And again, if we consider ESV translation, it says that Daniel had the excellent spirit that is within him. So NIV says great qualities, ESV says excellent spirit that is within him. And we read that in chapter 5, didn't we? The queen came in and said, call upon Daniel because the spirit of the Most High God is within him. And we learned that the spirit is the, the Hebrew word ruah, the breath of God, the breath that gives life to human beings. This is what was within Daniel. So it's clear that Daniel is different. He's different because the king of kings is not Darius, but the most high God whom he serves. And we read in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. This was Daniel. He focused on the king of kings, on the, the one that gives ruah, the one that gives the breath of life. And therefore his good deeds reigned throughout Babylon as one who gave glory to the most high God. And that is why he was entrusted. That is why he was different. That is why he was promoted to such a high level. Verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Well, the local governors and presidents were not pleased about Daniel's integrity and his inevitable promotion. So they decided to go up against him. And their clear aim, their clear uh, way of doing this is to find evidence to prove that Daniel has not kept his integrity, that there's something in Daniel's history that they can use against him. And in all their searching, they don't find a shred of evidence to suggest that Daniel isn't who he says he is. Daniel's been trusted by at least three kings. He's been promoted 
nearly every decade of his life. And there is a reason for that, because he could be trusted. There was nothing they could use against Daniel and nothing Daniel used against others. He was loyal not to the kings, but to the Most High God. And it strikes me, Miriam and I were just uh, watching uh, a documentary recently on Netflix uh, on Billy Graham's life. And it strikes me that this is the same as Billy Graham, that he was trusted by US presidents because of his integrity. And what struck me as we watched this documentary is he would go and preach God's word anywhere in the world. But the only time he would refuse is if there was restrictions placed on God's word. So if they said you can only preach this amount of time, or you can only preach to these people, or you can only have this passage, Billy Graham said no. He wanted the freedom to preach whatever God laid on his heart and pray in whichever way God led him to. That is Daniel. Daniel honoured the Most High God, and so he had integrity at the highest level. The problem, though, that was facing the leaders of Babylon at this time was not the integrity of Daniel. See, it's quite easy to make a good person an enemy. The problem, though, was their jealousy towards him, that he was succeeding and they were not. Uh, James 3.16 paints a, a very clear picture of this on the screen. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, the leaders of Babylon, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. The issue wasn't Daniel. The issue was jealousy. Yet even as we read this verse in James 3.16, we should read Ecclesiastes 4.4. 4. That says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement sprung from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. They chased Daniel. What's wrong with Daniel? Nothing. It was just wind. Nothing's there. But even though they chased the wind, they were going to try their hardest to trip him up. When they couldn't find fault with his work ethic, they schemed against his faith, convinced that his faithfulness to God will trap him. They would literally stop at nothing to make sure that they got the prestige rather than Daniel. Uh, I'll be honest that I don't think this is any different today. Uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, on this topic wrote this. Uh, Some people are, all, are always ready to level those above them down under themselves while they are never willing to level those below them up to their own position. But he that is under the influence of true humility will avoid both of these extremes. The attitude behind both of these extremes of, of pulling people down and pushing people further down is the issue of seeking others' demise because you don't like their success. You want to protect your own life at all costs. Uh, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Daniel, the example of Daniel is he didn't do what was worldly. He wasn't interested in a presidential role. He wasn't interested in power. He wasn't interested in influence. He just honoured God. Very simple. Now, the world honoured him with prestige and promotion. 
But Daniel had no interest to do anything of envy and jealousy. Anything that comes from that is worldly, acting like that human flesh we have. Daniel's the example of something that is godly. He is not envious. He is not jealous. There is no fault in his work ethic and no fault in his faith. We'll continue in verse 6. Uh, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being, uh, being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Uh, notice when the factions of leaders who resented Daniel couldn't find fault with him, they devised a scheme, a, a trap to catch him in. I think it's very similar to what the Jewish leaders did with Jesus. Let's find fault with him. Pontius Pilate. I can, I can find no fault with him. But they trapped Jesus in any way they could. Now, interesting, we don't read of any meeting or any vote occurring, and we certainly know that Daniel would not have agreed to this decree. Instead, what we have here is a case of exaggerated opinion. All the leaders think you should put this edict in place. Really? The very president you're about to promote to the highest level would never agree to this. But all the leaders have agreed is an exaggerated opinion. And let's be honest, that happens in work settings and church settings. Some people are saying, or people have noticed. I once knew a pastor who said, who are the people? Write the list of the names. It would shock people. Oh, um, it's private and confidential. No, what it is is an exaggerated opinion. That's what's happening here. But once they've set the trap, they now play to the ego of Darius. Ban the prayer to anyone but you. Notice, though, they didn't fall into the trap of Nebuchadnezzar. He raised a golden image and said, look at me. I'm the great King Nebuchadnezzar. It seems these leaders have learned the lesson. It's not worship Darius. It's don't worship anything else. If Darius gets the prayer, that's a byproduct. But the focus is not making Darius great. The focus is setting a trap against those who would refuse to pray towards Darius. And of course, Darius was intoxicated by the flattery. And to be honest... We have all been intoxicated by this flattery in our lives. Genesis 3.5 says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And this is the, the serpent speaking. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's the, it's the classic temptation. You will have more power. You will be great. You will be the name above all names. You will have the role. People will honor you. You will be like a God. It's the classic temptation of leadership to put your name higher than any other name 
It is interesting, again, watching a, another documentary uh, about UK prime ministers. I won't name who the prime ministers are, but there are prime ministers in history who have stood and done this exact thing, who power has gone to their mind. And it's about who is focused on them. It is no different in churches. It is absolutely no different in churches where leaders get puffed up and intoxicated by that thought process of people listen to me. I have power. This is what Darius was going for. The truth of God's sovereignty of being ruler over all was exchanged with a lie that a mere mortal man could be as powerful. Uh, crucially, if anyone disobeyed this law set by Darius, they would what? They would be thrown into the lion's den. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. What temptation lay before Daniel? Pray to Darius or die? And some would say he could have been forgiven. It's, well, it's only 30 days. If I just close my door and no one sees what I'm doing, I am sure after 30 days, normality will resume and I can go back to praying to God. You could almost forgive him for thinking that this is a temporary problem and he just needs to keep his mouth shut for a little while. But Daniel chose to pray. He openly yet humbly defied the law of King Darius and the leaders of Babylon. In fact, his defiance of this law was his obedience of God's law. Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. To defy the law of Darius was to obey the law of God. The integrity of Daniel's faith would only be intact if he showed entire loyalty to God. But notice... This was not Daniel just being defiant for the sake of it. Notice these words. He prayed three times just as he had done before. Nothing had actually changed in Daniel's life. He wasn't becoming some defiant uh, person going against the king. Instead, Daniel went to his room, he got on his knees, and he prayed. He communicated with God regularly. He bowed the knee and spoke to his creator. And he didn't just pray when things got tough. He prayed when things were going good. He prayed when he was getting promotions. And he prayed when he was being set a trap. Sure, it was made difficult for Daniel to pray. But he didn't waver. He was absolute resolute. He must pray. In picking up this situation, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, a, a commentator, uh, writes this. I recall being overseas and learning from a married couple why they had not been in morning worship that day. Their response was that their young daughter had been invited to a birthday party of one of her friends. So they were forced to miss worship. Now, don't get me wrong when I'm focusing in on this. This is not a bat across your head to get to church every Sunday. The key word here is forced. 
It's all too common in the Christian life, in the life of the church, that things get in the way of church. And we'll use them as a reason not to come to church. Now, don't get me wrong, again, I'm protecting my email inbox. I'm not saying that everything can be forgotten about and you can come to church. You saw that last week with my family. Miriam was sick, the kids were out, they were not in church. What I'm trying to say is, look at the word forced. Daniel was being forced not to pray. You will die if you pray to your God. He was being forced and he still prayed. I have a birthday party coming up on Sunday. Oh, I won't be able to get to church. I've been kind of forced the hand. If I don't send the kids to the birthday party, they're going to lose friends. Oh, I guess we'll have to go to the birthday party. Well, my car's broken down. Oh, I'm forced not to go to church. There's a hundred people in this room. Pick up a phone. We all have cars. We can come pick you up. There's always something to do, always somewhere to be. But for Daniel, he was absolutely certain nothing was going to stop him praying to his heavenly father, even if that meant death. Uh, Martin Luther put it very simply, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Daniel knew this. It was essential that he prayed, essential that we pray that we are biblical in our response to the world's traps. That is why on Saturday we are coming to pray at 9 a.m. That is why on Saturday morning we get a long list of emails from people. I can't come for this reason. I can't come for this reason. And again, I'm not batting across your head. I'm asking you, are you really forced not to come to pray? That is why we pray before every Sunday service at 9.30 because we are coming to God, because the world wants to set a trap for us, and we want to pray to our Heavenly Father. That is why we've instituted uh, the start of my working week on Tuesday morning, where we come to pray together, that we don't start the working week here at LBC without prayer. It is the very lifeblood of the church to come together and to pray. Let me ask you this morning, and I think the passage demands of it, are you flowing with the lifeblood of being with fellow Christians and praying, or are you flowing with the world? Daniel will kill you if you pray to your God. That's an easy choice, I'm praying. Folks, it's a bit wet outside and a bit windy. Ooh, can't go out, might get in a car, crash. Hear me what I'm saying. I am not batting people across their heads. We have all had Sundays where we felt something's in the way and I can't get to church. We have all had that. This is slightly ironic because I'm on holiday next week, so I won't be here. (laughs) But we're still going to go to church. Just because I'm on holiday doesn't mean I stop going to church. What I'm trying to say, folks, is that Daniel's faith was rock solid because he knew nothing gets in the way of the Most High God. I'll leave it there because I've probably offended half the room. Uh, Let's go into verse 11. Uh, Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. 
So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Well, it's very clear that the leaders knew that Daniel's faith was strong. Do you notice what it says? These men went as a group to find Daniel and they found him. They knew he would pray. Do we know that we're going to come to church and pray? Can I honestly say in the 71 two members we have, I know they'll turn up on Saturday morning to pray? Do we know that? They knew Daniel would be praying. What a testament to faith. They went straight to the king, but notice the game they play with the king. Uh, They didn't mention Daniel at all at this stage. They made sure the king was reminded of the law, that for 30 days anyone who prays to anyone beside Darius would be thrown into the lion's den, and the king falls straight into their trap. Of course the law stands. I can't repeal it. Of course it stands. Then notice how they play their game. Verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Notice the words, he still prays three times a day. This was not an unusual practice for him. When the king heard of this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. The leaders just stuck that dagger right in, didn't they? And notice the phrasing of how they did it. Daniel, one of the exiles... Daniel is a president in Babylon. But they stuck the dagger right in and said, but remember, he is but a slave. They exaggerate his defiance. Daniel is going against the king. No, he's not. He's going against the corrupt leaders. He has served King Darius as God has placed him there. But he will not honor the laws that go against the Most High God. And you can see that Darius knew this because he was distressed. He wanted to save Daniel. He didn't want to go against Daniel. This is not Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't egocentric. He fell into the trap of temptation, realized it, and saw the outcome of it, that Daniel was going to be punished. And then they've come with this game of, well, no decree or edict that the king has put in place can be changed. Well, that's utter nonsense. He's the great King Darius. He can do what he likes in his kingdom. He just writes a new edict. The king was wrong. Daniel can pray. He's got that power. But they exaggerate and they delve into the deeper viewpoint of the flattery of the king. Verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Daniel was thrown to the lions, to his absolute certain death. But look at the parting comment by Darius. It shows his true heart. Below all the flattery, 
Below the temptation and the sin was a conviction that Daniel's God was in fact the King of Kings. May your God continually save you. It is clear that Darius knew there is only one person that can save this situation. And that is the God that Daniel honors. And so today we leave Daniel in the lion's den near death. And you have to come back in two weeks to hear how it finishes. Do you see how I'm doing this series? I hook you in. Uh, I'm going to just finish with two very quick application points to just pull it together and get some take-home lessons for your Easter break. Uh, Here's your two things I want you to see. When people look at you, let them see Jesus. When people look at you, let them see Jesus. What is clear is when Daniel was tested, all that could be found was his desire and his love for God to serve him and to hold his word as truth. And we as Christians are not different whatsoever. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. Now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When people look at you and your actions and your, your desires and hear your voice and hear your explanations for things, all they should see is the lifeblood of the Christian, Jesus Christ. And John 3.30, we've said this many a time in a service, he must become greater. I must become less. Each one of our names should not be the first on people's lips, it should be Jesus. Now I'm going to quote a song, and yes, the author of the song is called Big Daddy Weave, and yes, that's an unusual name, but yes, the words are true. Here's the, the following lyrics. If I told you my story you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin, of when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in to tell you my story is to tell you of him. All too often we convince ourselves that if we behave the way the world behaves, that's okay because we're human. Because like Darius, we give in to temptation. But like Daniel's situation, he behaved in a different way. We think that if it's only for a moment, we'll be okay. Wrong. It's not okay to think we can behave like the world. We have been crucified with Jesus. It is no longer I that lives, but Jesus that lives within me. We can't kid ourselves this morning. We're not off the world anymore. We don't live in that way. We live as Jesus lived. We've got to put to death our our angers, our our lie, our, our exaggerations, our pride, our ego, and replace it with the qualities of Jesus of humility, of love, and of grace, and as we've learned today, of kindness. Uh, Quite often, as pastors, when you go and do different um, series, and often when it comes to the the relationship series, uh, specifically with young people, the, the, the topic that always comes up is where is the line of sin when I can be physical with my girlfriend or with my boyfriend? Where, where's the line? What, what, is, what is biblical? What can I, can I not do? 
And I once heard a pastor say, well, I could tell you this is the line, and this is biblically what you're allowed to do in a relationship before marriage. But what you're going to do is you're going to get so close to that line and so, so to the edge that you might just fall over. So what I'm going to tell you is the opposite. Run away from the line. Forget the question you've even asked and run away from it. I have the same question when it comes up about should Christians drink alcohol? Where's the line? How much can we? When can we do it? Where's the line? Same pastor, same response. Stop drawing the lines. Run away from the lines. Because what we're saying is how close can I get to sin and not sin? The response of Daniel is how far can I get away from sin and honor God? Uh, Tim Keller put it this way, you are the only Bible some people will read. Your life should be living proof of the gospel. At Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with joy and peace and mercy and kindness and goodness. Notice, not get to the edge of sin, not sin, and do a bit of goodness. When people look at your life, let them see Jesus. And the second thing I want to say is build your faith for the day of trial will come. Build your faith for the day of trial will come. Uh, Today we have another story of trial in the book of Daniel. Another story of great faithfulness by the Most Most High God. Uh, The striking thing, though, is that Daniel was prepared. You don't see him in a quandary of what to do. He hears the edict, and he goes to pray, as he always does. He knows what to do. He had prayed daily on countless occasions, and he had relied on God on countless occasions. He had seen that God always comes through for him, even though he still, still suffers some momentary pain, that God always comes through. He was built up in his faith. You cannot walk into a situation and just blindly say, oh, it's cool. I read my Bible in Sunday school. I know what I'm talking about. At the missions conference I went to recently, they spend a whole year studying God's Word, hundreds of hours, before they even mention missions. They don't even mention global until they know their Bible. We've got to build our faith up. And I'm going to let, get you to do a bit of work just as we close. If you turn in your Bibles uh, to Second Peter chapter 1, if you're using a church Bible, it's 1,222, 1222. In your own Bibles, towards the end of your Bible, uh, head to Hebrews, and you will find um, First and Second Peter after Hebrews. And I'm asking you to go to Second Peter chapter 1 and from verse 3. It is a priority for the children of God to build their faith. And we are not told to do it blindly. We're actually told how to do it. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Let me read this out. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us every great and precious promise so that though then you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires verse 5 listen to this this is how you build your faith for this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness 
knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, verse 7, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, if you have a printer, if you have an iPad, if you have anything that you can get this verse, group, verses 3 to 11, into your house, paste it everywhere you are. You cannot resist sin unless you build your faith in Jesus. You cannot defeat the enemy without the success of the gospel in your heart. And this is how you do it. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. This week, I want to encourage you to not take a holiday from God. Yeah, take a holiday from ministries. I'm really looking forward to the beach. The weather forecast is not great, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to spending time with my kids. I'm looking forward to just resting but I will not take a break from God. And I encourage you not to take a break from God. Because when you need every inch of your faith to go against this world as we are called to do so, you are going to need that faith having been built up on Jesus Christ. And if I can leave you with any verse, this is the verse that sums this up. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take this as Ross has bat me across the head and I've got to read my Bible this week. Take 1 Timothy 4 for, for the truth of it. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. I am not making this up, folks. This is God's word. Build your faith so that when people look at your life, they see Jesus. Let's pray.